Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come. So expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. Today is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. See, that means no matter what type of day I am having, today is the day that the Lord has made. No matter if this week everything has gone right or everything has gone wrong, today is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice. I make the choice to rejoice and say, God, Through all of the confusion, through all of the misunderstandings, through all of the things that may be going on in my life right now, I choose to rejoice and be glad in you. And sometimes, I don't know about you, when everything just seems to fall apart and I just begin to thank God for what he's done, something begins to change. Something inside of my heart, my my circumstances may not change. Everything still may be going wrong, but something inside my heart begins to change. My focus turns, and I begin to look at God. And I begin to see a God that is so beyond everything that I'm going through. And I begin to look to a God that says, in the beginning. A God that is the beginning and the end of everything. A God that speaks a word and planets are formed. A God that just says, be and light is. And he begins to speak these things. And and, and there's this verse that maybe you've heard people say time and time again. It's been so taken out of context, this idea of you, you speak things into existence and you speak things that are not as though they were. And sometimes we, we like to think of that as, oh, well, you need to speak this, this new house or this new car or this new thing. And sometimes you need to learn to speak peace. In the midst of my confusion, Lord, I speak peace. In the midst of my unthankfulness, God, I am thankful. In the midst of this day, I will rejoice and be glad in it. In the midst of everything that is unresolved, I will rejoice. Jesus sometimes loves to leave things seemingly unresolved. Um, I'm... I love the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament really just because of the stories that are in the Old Testament. I get to read about David and Samson and and all of these characters. And the great thing about them is all their stories really come to a close. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And there's this kind of, oh, I understand. And and there's the law, and it's very clear, and it points out, and it's black and white. But then in the New Testament, something's a little bit different. Jesus comes on the scene, and he begins to tell stories. And oftentimes, these stories that he tells are unresolved. He leaves you thinking, what? Matter of fact, he tells stories quite often, and the disciples are like, I don't know what he was talking about. The crowd's listening, and they're like, was he talking about this? Or... And so it's very encouraging to me that sometimes Jesus spoke, and people were like, I have no clue. 
And I think probably the most famous unresolved story for me anyway is the story of the prodigal son. Because here is this story where Jesus is talking to a group of people and he's talking to them about the lost. And he's talked about lost coins and he's talked about lost sheep. And then he begins to tell the story about these lost sons. And this one son goes off and he goes into this prodigal living and he comes back. And there's this moment where the Bible says that. And when he came to himself, man, if I could just be a servant in my father's house, it'd be better than this, than how I'm living now. And so he begins to return home. And upon his return home, the father sees him from afar and the father runs out the house and he runs down the road and he just has his arms wide open for the son that was dead is now coming home and he is now alive. Kill the fatted calf, put a robe on his back, put a ring on his finger. And there is a great celebration taking place. And then all of a sudden, the older brother is walking and he hears the sounds of the party. He hears the sounds of the trumpets playing, of the, the grill sizzling. The fatted calf has been killed. Wait a minute, what is going on? Well, your brother, he, he once was dead, but now he's alive. He's come home. Let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. And what happens is the older brother remains outside of the tent. And the Bible tells us he was angry. And so father gets word, and the father comes out, and the father says to him, what are, what are you doing? Come in, join the party. But, but look, father, what, what are you doing? He, this other guy, he's gone out. He's wasted all of your money. He's, he's used it on prostitutes and drugs and all this kind of, and I've been faithful this whole time. You never killed for me the fatted calf. And I love how the father replies. Son, you've been with me always, and all that I have is yours. If you wanted a party, you could throw a party any time you want. And the story ends. What happened to the older brother? Come on, Jesus, you you can't leave us hanging like that. It's like that moment where you're watching a movie and the movie's just going and it's going and then there's this moment where you feel it in your heart and you're like, no, this can't be the end. Please don't. Please don't. And then that credit rolls. (laughs) Director. Second key grip. No! No, please! And Jesus tells the story where you're just left thinking, no, this can't be the end. It's unresolved. sometimes, in the New Testament, there's a lot of things and a lot of questions that are still unresolved. And a lot of them, especially when it comes to the topic of the church. Right now, if I was to take a survey of everyone in this room, of what you think the church's purpose is and what it's all about, I would get a hundred different answers. We could go down the street and we'd have more different answers. And, more di- and so there's all these different thoughts of concerning the church because oftentimes in the t- New Testament when we read about it, there's a certain unresolved, there's a certain, uh, there's a certain element to the New Testament that says that other people are doing it all types of different ways and there's this way of doing it and that way of doing it and there's this style and that style. And, and so one person tries to say that this is wrong, but, but no, we could do it this way. And there's, there's this certain kind of 
difference from the Old Testament, where the Old Testament is very simple, plain, black and white. This is the law. This is what you do, A, B, C, and D. Whereas we don't really have that in the church. We don't have the New Testament saying, this is what you do. You gather at Sunday at 10 a.m., and you do three songs, and you do two points, you do a poem. And you, it doesn't say that. There's a certain unresolve in which we are trying to learn, and we're trying to figure out what is exactly this thing called the church. What does it look like? What should it look like? Biblically, what do we learn from the church? Now, if I was remember, if I was asked that question, there's all these different types of thoughts, all these different types of interpretations. But primarily, whenever, no matter what your thoughts on the purpose of the church, there seems to be uh, just really two to three main feelings about the church. And there's the first person, there's the person that loves coming to church. There's the person that loves coming and worshiping because they are like that first son. They know what it is like to be down in the dumps. They know what it's like to have absolutely nothing, and they've wasted so much. And man, just, just to come and to meet with God and just, just to be close to the Father, I, I would be a servant in his house if I can just get a little bit closer. So no matter what the church looks like, no matter what kind of music is being played, no matter how good or how bad the pastor is, man, they just want to be closer to the Father. And then there's the second person. There's the person like that second prodigal son who spent so much time that they have forgotten where they have come from. And they have forgotten that they could have a party anytime they want. So they become very disillusioned by the church, very frustrated by the church, very angry. Because uh, all of a sudden it brings about this natural skepticism. Well, it should be doing this, 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 and this, and this. And here's the thing. You could be right. You very well could be right. All of those things the church could be doing absolutely wrong. But yet still the fact remains that you stay outside of the tent. And you have yet to enter into the party. Now, I know you can't really amen or anything like that, but I know I'm speaking to a few people here this morning. Because let me be honest with you, I have been that second son. And in a lot of ways, even right now, I am that second son. Sometimes I look at the church, I I look at this church, I look at me, and I say, God, we're missing it somehow. There's some things that I look at Scripture, and I look at what we're doing, and I'm saying, some things just don't line up. And God, it turns into God, well, tell me what to do, and we'll do it, and we'll, we'll, whatever it looks like, God, I'm willing, here I am. And, and sometimes it turns into this frustration, and, and I'm just saying, God, God, here, here, here it is, here it is. And the other day, I'm in the shower, and I'm just kind of pouring my heart out to God and saying, God, I know there's something more. I'm opening up the scriptures and I'm seeing how these, these apostles lived and I'm seeing the things that you lived and I'm not seeing that in my own life. I'm not seeing that in my church. I'm not seeing that in this church. I'm not seeing it in the American church. There's things that we're doing that are off. What do we need to do and we'll do it? And God spoke to me very clearly and he says, listen, you want this list of A, B's and C's to change and to do, but you can't have it. Because if you don't get changed on the inside... It's just a matter of time before you turn that new thing into the old thing. 
It's just a matter of time. If, if I tell you how to do it all like this and all perfect, if you ain't changed on the inside, this new thing will be just like this old thing. And see, I read the scriptures and I look, and it is predominant all throughout the scriptures that God wants hearts. He wants your heart. And I look at the Old Testament, and the Old Testament was a, a list of all these different rules and all of these different laws. And Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus does what? He doesn't do away with it, but he what? He fulfills the law. Now, this is crazy, because if you look at the life of Jesus, he's seemingly breaking a lot of these laws. A lot of these things. Like, and if I was there in that day, I would look at Jesus, and I would say, wait, wait a minute, how are you fulfilling the law? It says Right here, claims in, in Scripture, uh, Moses got this from the mountain, right from you. Here it goes, blah, 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 blah. And, whoa, Jesus, something's wrong. And that's why the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees looked and they said, he's a heretic. Because these are ones that knew it inside and out. And it gets to this point, it's Jesus saying, yeah, you might know the letter of the law, but you've missed its heart. See, you might know, keep the Sabbath holy but you've missed what that's all about and so on the sabbath he goes and he heals sick people and everyone else all the religious people get mad and he's saying this is fulfilling the law this is what i'm all about this is what i'm trying to do i am trying to get your heart i think god is after hearts this morning and that journey looks different for all types of people. And for some of us, we're inside the tent because I once was lost and now I'm found. And for others of us, we remain outside. And God's saying, come in. All that I have is yours. All of my possession, everything is yours. Come and join the party. Um... This last week, I got a phone call, and there's a lady that had to go to the hospital, and she's 92 years old. She had a stroke, and, you know, pretty, pretty sketchy. She, um, she's 92, but she's attended uh, church here maybe just twice, maybe three times. I don't know, but she's the daughter of another uh, lady that does attend here, and so I get this phone call. And um, the daughter says to me, hey, listen, uh, this is what's happened to, to my mom. Um, but my mom wants to give her tithe. Could you come to the hospital and pick it up? And I'm thinking to myself, no. <laughs> like, not, no, I don't. That is, you know, how about I come to the hospital and just, like, sit with you and pray with you and, and, and like, I don't want to mess with this kind of money because when we started this church, I got to say, when it comes to money, I'm very, I'm kind of like, stand, you know, three and a half years, I've never preached a sermon on tithing and all that stuff. I've just said, you know what, God, there's so much of misuse and abuse of money in the church. I just want people to know that we love them. And when the time comes to talk about that, we'll talk about it. But there's been, anyway, let me sidetrack that. So I go there, and um, 
the daughter begins to tell me the story of just like she's being wheeled into the emergency care and she's had the stroke and she could barely talk and she's trying to whisper to the daughter, tithe, tithe, give, give the tithe. And I, I walk into the room and I begin to pray with this lady. And somewhere during my prayer, somewhere being in that room with this woman, I realized it wasn't about the money at all. See, this woman has lived a faithful life to Jesus Christ all of her years. And at this moment, she knew she couldn't do anything else. She could barely even talk. But this was, I think this was her way of just saying, you know what, God, to the very end, I am faithful. And that money wasn't about money at all. It represented her life. And this is what's important to me. At the very end of my day, I want my kids to know that I was faithful. I want my pastor to know that I was faithful. And it's not about, it's about this life that I have lived. I have run the race. I have fought the good fight of faith. And if I don't make it, my last thing that people are going to know is that I am faithful to Jesus Christ. And Lord, I need you. And whether you take my life or not, God, today I will worship you. And she's still in the hospital. She may or may not make it. But she is a testimony to all of us that we would be faithful to him who has saved us from a life that we were drowning in an ocean of death and he came in and the father is saying, come into the party. Come and join in. My friend Adam is here this morning and they began attending church and at the beginning of the year, we really challenged everyone to read the Bible, to just read the Bible through in a year. And he has taken that challenge and he's, he's really, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to read this word. I'm going to grab onto it. And we've just had different conversations, uh, just real brief things, uh, over the last six months. And there was one point where he came to me and he said, you know, Lucas, at first, you know, I, I come to church and there's the part of me that I just wish that the music would hurry up and be over with because, eh, you know, I just, I, I want to learn some more, you know, and I hate, I hate that I feel that way, but that's just how I feel. I said, I said, I, I totally understand, man. I totally understand. But here's what happened. Instead of me, like, trying to pull out why this is so important and all this and blah, 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 and giving him some kind of spiritual answer, you know what I said to him? I said, listen, man, just continue to read your Bible. Just continue to read the word. It's like, okay. And then just a few weeks ago, he comes to me and he says, you know what, the music, I, I get it now. It's worship. See, it, it wasn't me teaching him or anything. It was just him getting along with God and getting in his word, saying it's more than a good band. It's more than a loud drummer. There's something more, and God has teaching him. See, he is learning to teach himself. See, church isn't this place where it's, it's the end result. Church is just part of his journey. And he goes home, and he searches the scriptures for himself. He turns on the radio, and he learns how to worship himself. And if we look to this thing of what we have so falsely called church. 
we are in for a rude and terrible interruption in our life. Because the fact remains that this is not church. Nowhere in scripture will you find that this is church. Everywhere in scripture you find that the church is a person, is a people. It is never a building. You see, when we assembled here, when the church came, we assembled as a church. And when we leave, we leave as a church. You are the church. And the church, as our assembly, is just part of your process. And the concern of mine as a pastor is that you have made this the summation of your Christian faith and not just part of the journey. That you have not learned how to feed yourselves. That you have not learned how to worship God by yourself. Can we do it? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, fill this place with your presence. Lord, we need you. What is the next thing that you would have us to say, Lord? You see, these concerns that I feel are nothing new. As a matter of fact, the New Testament is a collection of of um, not all the New Testament, but a good portion of the New Testament is a collection of these letters written by the Apostle Paul. And there's this common thread in the New Testament throughout these letters that says, be careful, church. Be careful, people. And so each, each of these letters starts with, again, this message to the church, to the church at Philippi, to the church at Corinth. No, in other words, not to this building, not to this circle, but to the church to these people that are gathered in this location, to the church at Shalot, to the church in New York, to the church in Philadelphia. All these, this message is going out to a people group. And so there's this constant warning within the New Testament that says, don't go back to the way it once was. There is going to be a draw within you to want to return to this law, this way of doing things. And I am here to warn you, don't do it. Jesus has come on the scene, and now there's a whole new way of doing things. Let me encourage you to continue to steadfast in that. So in these letters, there's this thread that runs throughout the scriptures with that. But then there's this book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is a book that's really different from a lot of the other New Testament books. Hebrews doesn't start off, and we we don't know who the author of this book is, and it doesn't start off with this 
kind of letter formation to this church, to this people. But it starts off like this. In Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by his prophet, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heirs of all things, whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and behold all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged of, of our sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than thee. And so it starts off almost with this kind Hebrews reads like a sermon. It's, Hebrews is almost this sermon to the people. It, it's kind of like Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy is Moses giving these really five different sermons to the people. We're saying, these things that you need to learn, I want to make sure that you get them. Hebrews, the writer, is saying, this one thing that, church, I want you to know and I want you to get in. And he begins with this, this message in which he's, the whole book of Hebrews is constantly pointing us to Christ, and he's doing it through scriptures within the Old Testament. So there's all of these Old Testament scriptures and verses and references that are all referencing Christ and all pointing to Christ really as the high priest. Because if you were there, and, and Jesus has done what he's done, there's been life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, now all of a sudden there's a new way. You're left with this kind of feeling of, well, now, now how do we worship? How do we worship? Because they were so used to, this is how we sacrificed. This was the method in which we did things. This was the certain uh, time of the day. This was the certain things that we did. And so now Jesus has come, and now there's a whole new way. And so this book is written to say, listen, okay, this is how it's going to be. And let me tell you about Jesus as him being our high priest. He is the high, He is the one now that has gone in and made sacrifice for all of us. And so chapter... Chapter 8, he's, be, he's beginning to, he has pointed out Jesus as the high priest, and he says this, uh, 8 and verse 1, now this is the main point of these sayings. In other words, all of this that I've been talking about Jesus so far, here is the main thing, get this, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. In other words, this one thing, get this, understand this, Jesus is on the throne. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. Jesus made a way. It is his blood that cleanses, his blood that makes every one of us pure. He has gone into the altar, he has sprinkled his blood, and he is the one that we can now enter in. But listen, remember, there's, there's this thread of don't return to old ways, and he's saying this in, in verse 4. For if, if, if this was happening and he were on earth, he would not be the priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. In other words, by the law, Jesus couldn't even have done what he did. By the law, Jesus couldn't even have been a priest because he wasn't born into the Levitical rite of the priesthood, because of the order and the things that Jesus did. So in other words, there's this law, but yet remember, Jesus has come to fulfill the law. And now he's saying there's a way for all of us to enter in. 
Whether you're that prodigal son that has done this, or whether you have been that Pharisee that has remained closed and yet remained outside of the tent, Jesus has made a way through his blood. Get this. Understand this. This is the most important. This is what I'm trying to say is how this, le- this, this sermon, this letter goes. And it says this. Who served, these priests who served as a shadow of heaven, of things. When Moses was divinely instructed, when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said this. So God is saying this to Moses when Moses was about to make the tabernacle. See to it that you make all things according to the pattern that I've shown you on the mountain. Now remember, this writer is pointing us to Jesus. He's pointing us to Jesus through the Old Testament, through all of the things. So he's relating to Jesus as the high priest. And then he pulls out this verse from the Old Testament. He says, remember this of what he spoke to Moses when Moses was doing what? When Moses was about to make the tabernacle, the place to go and meet God. The place that you were going to go, and there was going to be the outer courts, the inner courts, the holy of holies. This is where God was going to show up. And it says this, make sure that you make this church and make it according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. This is amazing. Because Jesus comes on the scene. And in Matthew 5, he goes to a mountain. And on that mountain, he gives us the pattern of how now we should then live. And in Matthew 5, he begins to break all of these things that everyone thought that it should be. And he says, you have heard it said by them of old, but now I say to you. And he's bringing in a whole new way. But this whole new thing, remember, is fulfilling the law. So all of these things that he's doing is making clear what's already been there. You've heard it said by them them of old that you could just uh, uh, eye eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I say this to you, turn the other cheek. I say to this, it's not enough to just not cheat on your wife. I say this, if you've even done it in your heart, it's like adultery. And all of these things that Jesus has taken, he's dealing with the heart. He's saying, you know what, these, these things that you may be fulfilling the letter of the law to the T. You may be doing all of the things that Moses got from the mountain and A, B, C, and D, and yet you are still far from me. And God's coming on the scene and he's saying, I want your heart. I want your heart. And so now he's saying the same thing to us. That now how should we then live? Do it according to that which has been instructed to you, which was given on the mountain. That we would live like this Bible tells us to live. That the New Testament isn't just the stories of other people, but it's the stories of how we as a church can now live. See, I believe that you can live an overcoming life. I believe that you can be the head and not the tail. I believe that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I believe that Christ in you the hope of glory. That we would live like he lived. That we would love like he loved. And in Hebrews in 10, 
he says this, and now let us draw, in 10 and verse 22, now let us draw near with what? With a heart, a true heart, filled with the assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience of these bodies washed with what? Pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When you're not faithful, he is faithful. When you've gone out and you've turned your back, he hasn't. When you've messed up big time, he hasn't. When you think that he's a million miles away, he's closer than you think. Because he is faithful. He's faithful to himself. He can't not be faithful. He can't not but fulfill his his promises to you. So hold fast and let us consider one another and let us stir up love and good works. So how shall we then live? Look at the verbs of these, this short uh, scripture. Let us, what? let us draw near. Let this day, the day that the Lord has made, let us draw near. Let us hold fast and let us stir up love. This is what Christ has called us to, that you would hold fast to the faith, that you would draw near to him, and that you would stir up love in your heart and in your life. And see, here is the reality. You could come to this gathering that we call the church Sunday after Sunday, and your heart can be far from him. And God is running out this morning to that second son and saying, come in, join the party. All that I have is yours. You could kill the fatted calf any time you want. Any time, all that. May we join the party. May we draw near. May we love greatly. May you go out into a world that is trying its best to keep you down and love them anyway. Turn the other cheek. When someone takes advantage of you, let them. I know that's contrary to what you've been told. Jesus, and while we were yet sinners, died for us. The more that we love And the more that we live like him, the more we experience the party and the celebration of Jesus Christ. And it is a wonderful party. It is a great, great place of knowing that, God, you are good. See, there's one thing about me that you cannot convince me otherwise And that is this, is that God is good. See, I might not know everything inside and out about Scripture. There's all kinds of questions that I have, but there is one question that has buried itself deep into my soul, and that is the answer that, yes, God is good. And he's good in the good times, and he's good in the bad times. He's good when I don't feel like he's anywhere around. He is good. And this is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it because you are faithful, God. And you are true. And you are lovely. And you can speak a word and change my entire life. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. 
For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on, be safe.